Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. want to give a shout out to a lot of people who are watching online right now. I know a lot of Echo friends are not feeling great this week. We had a number of you check in and we had some volunteers this morning. We had to switch out because people are, are dealing with sickness. So hello to everyone watching from home. Um, we hope you take care of yourselves and have lots of rest. We're thankful for those of you who made it here today. And we're going to have a little conversation. This is our penultimate uh, study of Galatians. We have one more chapter next week. But today we are circling back to some verses that we haven't covered before because we have a little time. Last week we had all of our Echo Kids in service with us. So we did, we did more a simple message about the fruit of the Spirit. And so today we're going to dig into some Jewish history. Now, if you've been anywhere near the church in the past few years, you may have heard of the word deconstruction. Anyone? Yes. Uh, it means slightly different things to different people, but basically, I decided to use the children's toys this morning to give us an illustration. It's just like you've taken this faith that you've built and that people have taught you since childhood, and then you try to pick it apart and decide, I don't know, what's there, dig in and see what is really true, and what did someone tell you, and you're not really sure if that's their interpretation or is really what the Bible says. And some people get a little scared of this process, and I get it, because if you have a loved one who is questioning faith, and maybe you worry that they'll walk away so far that they don't come back, and that's a real fear, and I get that. However, I just see that questioning Digging into faith and making it our own, it's something we all have to go through. That's being human. That's maturing in our faith. Because we need to know that the pieces here are pieces that we believe in and can build our lives upon. Making faith our own. I had a high school, Sunday school teacher never use the word deconstruction. That wasn't in his vocabulary. And yet he looked at all of us as teenagers and said, you need to figure out if this that I'm teaching you is real. He's like, don't take my word for it. You need to figure this out for yourself. And so he challenged us to ask hard questions, to dig in to God's word together and on our own. <clears throat> and it was freeing. And I figured out that, yes, I do believe this Jesus. And yes, I had a solid foundation because he gave me the chance to dig at it, to pull it apart a little bit. But the thing is, when we deconstruct, when we take all this stuff and we toss it out, what are we going to rebuild? Because something needs to be there. We can't just take everything and leave it to dust. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about tearing apart and rebuilding again and what that meant for people in ancient times, because it's not a new concept, and what that can mean for us today. We're in our series of reading the New Testament book of Galatians. And we call it a book, but it was really a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to some friends to try to encourage their faith. 
because some people kind of came in and started to pull it apart. And he's trying to tell them what the true foundation is. And so we call it Jesus redeems our stories because that is the truth that Paul keeps going back to tell his friends. He said, it's not about ancient traditions. It's not about whether you have a, a good family tree or a bad family tree. He's like, you've got Jesus and he's the one that unites all of us. So today we're gonna be in Galatians chapter four. Like I said, digging into some verses we, we skipped over before. And I want us to remember that this letter originally we're taking it into pieces, but they would have originally sat down and someone would have read the entire letter out loud to the church. And this was handed over to, there were several churches in the region of Galatia, modern day Turkey, and they were all connected in house churches and they would have read the letter and they would have passed it on. And you would have sat there and listened to the whole of it. So when we take this in, we're trying to remember that all of this is coming at them at once. And there were two groups who were hearing this letter at this point in time. First of all was the core church. They had been together when Paul was with them. Paul was in the region of Galatia. He talked a couple weeks ago that something was wrong with him. He was either sick or injured or something, and they took care of him. And that's kind of how he stayed in the first place. And God used that in order for him to create more communities of faith and help them learn about Jesus. But after he left, so that's the core, and they have Gentiles and Jewish people worshiping together. That was new in this church because the fact was that Jewish and non-Jewish people used to stay pretty separate. But that was the exciting thing about Jesus and the message of believing in him was that it brought people together. So people are worshiping. They're great. They're loving one another. Then some outsiders come in. And we only know because of what they're saying that they were Jewish themselves too. So we already have Jewish people there, but some others come in with like a slightly different perspective. And this is working out faith, what people do even today, where they're like, here's an issue and we're gonna debate it a little bit. So the outside people came in and said, we're coming in because we wanna wanna change how you're doing things here. We wanna give you the better way. So that is who is hearing this message. Paul is writing not only to people who were new in the faith, people who are just building on Jesus for the first time. He is, and he's also writing to people who have grown up and are, they've got a little bit of an issue here. They've got a little bit of a miscommunication, misunderstanding of God's grace. And Paul wants to communicate to both groups. Galatians 4, verses 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Okay, Paul is gonna use this awkward family situation as an illustration here in a minute. But I want us to go back and remember who the real people were. What's the story that this is based on? The founding father of the Jewish people. Um, Muslims see him as a founding father. We Christians would claim him as well. Abraham. And hopefully you've heard of him before. And he 
This is a story about Abraham. And it says that in Genesis 12, that Abraham got a promise from God. He said, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, verse three. And so God was saying, I'm gonna start something great and I'm gonna begin with you and your family's gonna grow. And he went from a family to a nation. And so this is the promise God made. And in Genesis 15, we talked that God made a covenant to seal the promise, to say, this is binding. I'm gonna tell you that I'm not gonna break this promise. And he said, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Imagine that beautiful promise. All of the stars. We keep getting new technology and finding out there's more stars out there. We cannot keep count of them. And yet, and yet, Abraham, he's a little, he's a little over the hill at his time. He didn't have any children yet. So how do you begin with a multitude in the heavens, all of the stars in the sky? That's how many people will be on earth through Abraham. But he's got to start somewhere. He didn't have any children yet. And so he had a problem. Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed at the thought that she could have a baby in her older age. So she had an idea. She's like, let's use Hagar, our slave, and let's let her do the baby making. I say use quite specifically because Hagar did not have agency over her choices. And it was in the time a cultural norm to say, we're going to use this person who is our property and force her to do the things that we need her to do. And so surrogate pregnancy as it is today, completely different in this moment. And we can all imagine the consequences of three people in a relationship triangle. I don't care what time of year, what culture, what year we're in, that's not gonna be pleasant. There's gonna be some mess here. Hagar did become pregnant. Sarah became jealous. And Hagar, well, she teased her because she's like, you thought you could use me and yet I can get pregnant. So she took the capital that she did have and the two women were at odds. And when Hagar had a baby boy named Ishmael, also a boy, very important in this culture, Sarah lost it and sent her out into the desert, hoping that they would both die. Now, we're gonna pause the story there. We'll come back in a moment. But know this, God basically told Abraham and Sarah, that wasn't the plan. Your idea was not my idea. I'm still gonna give you a son as promised because I promised it to you in your marriage, in my timing. I just needed you to trust me. And so it's true. They did become pregnant and they had Isaac, a son. But you can just imagine that this hack of a plan harmed immediately Hagar, and I'm sure their own relationship, and it had lasting impact for generations. Because when you set up two children in the same household with the same father, and you told, tell them one is not wanted and one is wanted, how does that feel? How does the tension start? It had ripple effects. And Paul is gonna address that now because he sees ripple effects in his own culture 
because of the same attitude of who was the legitimate son. So let's look at this illustration, verse 24 of Galatians 4. Paul says, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. There's a lot to break down here, but it's pretty fascinating. So the Israelites, they're claiming Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They say this over and over, that that is their heritage. That's who they claim. Ishmael is Hagar's son. And it says that the people of Arabia, the area we know most of the Middle East, came from that descendant. So Paul chooses Isaac and Ishmael, Sarah and Hagar, in order to give an illustration to the Jewish Christians listening. Remember, these are the people who've come in to make trouble intentionally. And Paul wants them to reinterpret their own pride and joy heritage that they keep clinging to. Because the people who really trusted in their lineage, they had a superiority complex. And that was showing through. And Paul was like, this is a new church, a new day, and we are all equal. Yet people tried to come in to say, "Mm, there's an inner circle and an outer circle. And the Jewish people are the true family. So Paul flips the script. He says, okay, if you think that there are two families with different superiority, let's really look what's happening here. Isaac was born of a promise. Ishmael was born of what they would call flesh, a human decision. Now already in Galatians, he has been telling them that faith means believing in God's promise. Faith is trust in Jesus alone. So he's like, obviously, if you're trusting God's promise that came through Jesus fulfilled, then you are connected to Isaac. So he's like, everyone out here, Jewish, Gentile, if you trust in Jesus alone, you belong with Isaac. And then on the other side, he said, remember, the law was just temporary. It was meant to keep us in line until the promise was fulfilled. But if you're going back to trust that law, you are just putting yourself into slavery. So therefore, you are connected to Ishmael, this family that you don't believe is legitimate in your own history. So he is trying to just really mess with their minds here, right? He is like, let me reinterpret these two teams that you have been creating. He connects the dots further. He even says, by the way, where did Moses get that law that you like so much? On Mount Sinai in Arabia. But he said, when you trust in God's promise, it doesn't matter where you are. Anyone, anywhere can be connected to God's family. Now let's keep going. Oh, wait, Paul, I was thinking that I can imagine that they have all built up this heritage. And it's like he's going, what do you think now? He's just poking at them. Like he knows how much they trust in their heritage, their right of birth. And he's just, mm, he's just trying to annoy them. I think it's kind of funny. Okay, next he's gonna quote Isaiah 54. We're not gonna super dig into this. It's basically another way of him supporting his Hagar and Sarah comparison. We're going to read it through. Isaiah said, 
Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. A longer, a longer situation here is basically saying the things that you think that are great here on earth in heaven, they're going to have a different priority. And so that is his illustration here. We're going to keep going, but I wanted us to make sure we're reading every bit of the letter. In verse 28, he goes on. You, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. What do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Okay, this might, this might sound harsh here, but I'm, you dig in and you realize, Paul, he doesn't believe there are two different sides. However, he's taking the biases they already have and say, if this is really how you think, then you are connecting yourself, and I'm going to show you that you're connected to the people you don't even want to admit are related to you. He's telling anyone and everyone that anyone who loves the law is putting themselves into slavery again. And he wants to take what they've idolized and knock it down so he can build back the foundation built on Jesus alone. He doesn't want them to be snobs. He doesn't want them to look down upon each other. He just wants to say that we're all adopted. Just like we talked a few weeks ago, we're all adopted into the family of God. We're not asked to present a family tree and to show where we came from, to check who we were born from. Paul is trying to say that you're holding on to the wrong things. And so he really wants to put, to lay it out and see how, see how bad that looks. He's not saying let's trash an entire group of people who, are, who obeyed the law. Paul grew up obeying the law, but he's trying to say, look how ugly this looks. And that's what you're clinging to. And I want, us, I want us to pause for a moment because I don't think that we can talk about this without looking in the news today. And I feel like that this illustration of the biases that people were raised with, claiming Ishmael and Isaac, they can still resonate. It's still an illustration for fighting that we see war and pain and death going on in Israel today. Because we have Sarah's son, Isaac, and Muslim people look to Ishmael and say that he was ancestor to Muhammad. And so we probably have so many people who were raised with the idea of one group is better than another. And that this same bias that Paul faced and called out in his day, we're crying out against now. To say what is similar, but we keep so focused on our differences that we're hurting innocent people that we're destroying by choosing the right family. It's devastating. It's not giving the next generation their own chance to build a foundation and to choose to care about the people in their communities. Dangerous elite bias can happen in every culture and ours is no different. We can all look to this lesson of Abraham's family of the ways people were taught to look at them, and we can learn from it. 
Let's go back to our opening word of deconstruction. Did you see that there's a little bit of ancient deconstruction going on in this very letter? So folks came into town, came into Galatia, and they tried to deconstruct the faith of the people who were there. They tried to rip it apart and tell them, you have to obey the law and have Jesus to be pure Christians. That was the false message. So Paul is trying to help the Gentile Christians say, don't let anyone break apart your faith. You had the right foundation. Go back to that, Jesus and his truth. At the same time, we said Paul was doing a little bit of tearing apart himself, wasn't he? He was trying to say, let's reinterpret all the things that you grew up learning about who was better and just recognize that God has always been for all people. Because here's the thing. There's a final piece of the story, the story of Hagar, that demonstrates that I think that Paul cares about the Jewish Christians listening just as much as he cares about the church who originally existed. Because Paul specifically chose Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael, but he knows the rest of the story. And I think he's hoping that his Jewish brothers and sisters listening will remember it too. Yahweh did not leave Hagar and Ishmael out, bereft into a desolate desert. God made a promise to Hagar as well. When Sarah sent Hagar and her son fleeing out into the desert, Hagar thought that they were going to die, and she sat by a spring in the desert, and God showed up. Genesis 16 says, The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Even though the situation was not ideal, God wanted the father of her baby, Abraham, to take care of her. So he's like, go back to that house. Abraham needs to take care of this baby. Sarah needs to help take care of this baby. This was part of their plan, right? I think that's probably why he sent her back. He wanted her to have protection, even though it was going to be rough. But God promised. He promised that they would survive, that she would be the mother of many, many descendants, more than you can count. Sounds a lot like Abraham. We, he's held up and this person being promised by God. And yet God said, I'm going to redeem your story too. You're also going to get more descendants than you can count, Hagar. That had to be a huge leap of faith. But God showed up to make sure Hagar knew he saw her. He loved her. He was providing for her. He was redeeming her story. She's the only person, she's the first person to give God a name the one who sees me. It was faith that sent Hagar back to be in an uncomfortable situation, but yet she survived. What does her redeemed story, what did that mean? Why did Paul bring them up? Why do you think he was hoping that people would understand the full picture? Because Paul just ripped apart, he just ripped apart their heritage. He just took brick by brick and threw it down and said, it's not about Isaac and Ishmael and claiming the right lineage. And yet he knew 
that God redeemed both families. He's like, as much as you are putting down the people born in slavery, he's like, God gave them a promise too. They are all made in God's image. They are all redeemed by Jesus if they will call out to him. Jesus came to live, to die, to raise again in order to give everyone the same opportunity to have our stories redeemed. God's truth to the people in Galatia was the same as God's truth to Hagar. And I think Paul wanted both Gentiles and his Jewish sisters and brothers to hear that the Lord is the God who sees them. So what does that mean for us today? Um, Let's go back to my blocks, my deconstruction, because I said, you've got to rebuild, right? There's, There's something there and we need to do something If you've deconstructed faith, now what are you rebuilding in its place? Sometimes deconstruction has a part of a motivation that is caused by hurt. Because it's hard for you to want to believe in something when the person who taught you that something turned out to be horrible. And some of us here have received information about God and the Bible and Jesus. And we're not sure we can trust the people who told us that. So it's hard. Um, It's hard to probably, maybe it feels a little bit like Hagar. It's hard to trust that household you came from when they were so hurtful to want to even claim anything they claim. If there's people who've hurt you and they are still Christians, it's hard to then want to claim Christianity. That can be a big thing to overcome. Some of us may even feel like Sarah and Abraham or like, we did some stuff for our faith that wasn't right. We thought we were doing the right thing and yet we caused harm. What was the faith that we were living? How could we have done that? And sometimes we're grappling with that as well. And it can all cause us to just throw everything out. And at the bit by bit, we get to the bottom. And we have to start over. And I just realized that we're reading this scripture, this letter written from a man who could relate. Because Paul, well, he grew up very proud of his faith. And he had some people that probably taught him that. And then he did some things he was ashamed of. He harmed Jesus following people. And so how did he push all that aside and give space from the people who are causing the harm and yet still stay close to the God they taught him about? It's hard to hold on to the truth even when the people who gave you that truth caused pain. I don't fully know. I'm sure he had his good days and his bad days. But he keeps mentioning other people in his letters. Whenever he writes, he's like, he writes about we. He uses the plural. Those of us here, we're sending you this letter. And he, and he lists people in all of his letters to say, thank you, this person and that person, because he wasn't alone and he couldn't do it by himself. And so I don't know what you need as you're trying to rebuild something. But start with Jesus. He's a pretty strong foundation. And 
as you build, don't isolate. Don't isolate, because that's when it feels hopeless. And we have kind of come up with a culture here at Echo where it's, we're pretty patient, we're pretty chill, and we know that everyone coming in these doors is at a different place in faith. And so let's rebuild together. And there might be times when you come in and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what I believe. But you're in a place that people are going to love on you anyway. And they might believe for you for a while. Then they'll believe with you. Because we just need to be alongside one another. And know that we're all, we're here. If you're tuning in and if you're present in this building, you're holding on to something. It might be small. It might feel like you, your, your grasp is getting pretty weak. But there's something left. And we keep trying to present that that something pretty solid is Jesus. He's worth building upon and figuring out. He actually does the work with you. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released, prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. All who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. God promised. He promised not just to have an eternal family. He promised to help rebuild when it hurts. He promised to help bring healing when we have despair. And that promise in Isaiah, well, in the book of Luke, Jesus walks into a synagogue one day. He has great timing. And they had laid out that the daily reading was from Isaiah 61. And Jesus read those words and he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus said, I am the one that's going to heal. I'm the one that's ready to help you rebuild. I'm the one who wants to redeem your story, whether you, whether you loved your upbringing or whether you're running away from it. Whether you're slave or free, male or female, Jewish or Gentile, just as Paul wrote in Galatians. But Jesus came to be the answer. And we're holding stuff, right? We're holding these things, and some of the pieces look a little worse for the wear. And so we can hand him the ashes, the pieces. We can hand him the mourning, the crying. We can hand him the despair. And Jesus takes it, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some other new pieces. There's new bricks to be found. These pieces look like joy. They look like praise. They look like redemption. And it might take a while. No one knows the timing, but just stay on the journey. Let's stay together. Let's stay with Jesus. And he'll help us rebuild. Will you pray with me?
God, thank you for your message of redemption. We need it now, just like people needed it then. Sometimes we feel alone and confused and in the dark. And we just ask you, Lord, to please bring the light. Help us to find you through the chaos. Lord, thank you that you found a way to us, even when it came in ways and through people that we don't, we don't know what we feel about now. You still showed up in our lives. That's how you redeemed our stories. You came through, even in the darkest, darkest circumstances. Thank you for finding your way to us. Help us to lean on you and one another. Thank you for this message. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.